good afternoon to you and thank you very much for speaking to us. Pleasure. Now, it's been said that there are great opportunities for Africa if we're speaking about it being one of the fastest growing economic hubs. But part of the problem is in trying to talk about infrastructural development. People speak about it as a homogeneous block. So how do you undertake a study, but also implementation that is nuanced, especially to the region? Well, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, there are different types of infrastructure. I think the the uniform message, though, is that uh, the continent is looking for investment and development across pretty much all sectors of infrastructure. Uh, There are some that are more prominent than others, particularly at the moment in uh, the energy sector uh, and in the transportation sector. But telecoms infrastructure uh, is also a key area. So uh, you're right. There are there are many areas of infrastructure, but there are large opportunities and needs across almost all of them. Mm. And the political will alone is not going to, you know, help us reach those objectives because there's funding that is also required. And I mean, it's interesting to hear Gordon Brown say that if we get the funding to roll out the infrastructure that will surpass China and India, but a lot needs to go into that. I think that's right. I, I think, though, the message he was he was giving was that the, the funding is now available uh, for correctly structured projects. So for projects that are sensibly structured where the political will does exist and where infrastructure projects are required to cross borders, for example, in the Central Corridor project, mm. where we're starting to see the emergence of regional commitment, that will make a difference to the infrastructure picture in the continent. Mm. And you did mention just some of the should I say, the needs of the continent. But physical infrastructure seems to be uh, where people are concentrating a lot. And I mean, uh, given where we are now, there are power and communication challenges. So how do you prioritize in a fast-moving, fast-paced world? Well, I think you have to think about what the real enablers are, which is why power and transportation tend to, to, to jump to the fore. Uh, if we think about job creation in Africa, or if we think about intra-African trade, power is an absolutely essential component uh, mm. of powering an economy. And you've seen that part of the success of South Africa in areas of manufacturing in the continent has been uh, the greater availability of power in South Africa. Uh, if you look at Nigeria, albeit that it has the largest economy in the continent now, uh, the total power generation capacity in Nigeria is about 4,000 megawatts. Just to put that into context, that's about the same as the consumption, power consumption of Narita Airport in Japan, uh, in Tokyo. So the entire country of 160 million people uh, has the same power capacity as a single airport in Japan. And the, the backlogs that are preventing us from reaching some of those opportunities? I think historically there's been uh, some things missing uh, in terms of legal agreements, uh, power reform to the sector. Uh, One of the great things that's moved Nigeria forward in the last year or so has been reform of the power sector by the government, the breaking down of the power sector uh, into its component parts, um, generation, uh, transmission and distribution, and some privatization. So I think there's there's some work that government needs to do. Uh, There's work that has been done by investors in terms of getting comfortable with risk across the continent. Uh, There's 
increasing uh, investment domestically within Africa, but the scale of investment that's required, you know, over 100 billion a year must come from uh, external uh, sources as well. So seeing investors in Asia, uh, in Europe and the Americas becoming much more comfortable with African risk uh, and becoming more excited about the opportunities on the continent has also been a a game changer. Mm. I'd like to talk about the role of investors because uh, obviously if we're looking at increasing uh, growth economically and of course development, we have to look at also the linkages with not only infrastructure development but uh, where people tend to go, the large commodity finds. So if there's oil and gas, you'll have as many investors as you can have your pick off, but people wouldn't go to areas which are not deemed to be you know, rich or wealthy in those areas. Well, you're right. I mean, private sector investors obviously are looking for a return in the way that that aid donors are not. Uh, But I think much of it is also to do with how people see the impact of those projects. One of the advantages certain resource projects have had in the past is, you know, the oil comes out of the ground, it's clear where it is, it's a dollar-based commodity, uh, and it can be shipped to multiple places, uh, which is why I think historically you've seen big multinationals from those sectors uh, investing. Mm. I think what I'm talking about, though, is that there are increasingly financial investors uh, as well as corporate investors who are willing to invest in the infrastructure sector Mm. within the continent. And the long-term policy stability implications uh, I'm sure are at the center of some of those challenges. Absolutely. I mean, what what investors worry about uh, is the framework in which uh, an agreement takes place. So the rule of law and political risk are obviously hugely important. Uh, but I think, as uh, as I think uh, Gordon Brown mentioned, the fact that there has been steady progress in governance, uh, in political will, and in the frameworks for these things to take place in many of the largest markets and many of the smaller markets across the continent has been something, again, which has given people increasing confidence. Thank you so much for speaking to us. Uh, that is Standard Chartered Bank's Chief Executive.